0: This is the Rare Petro Podcast, a podcast for industry professionals and students to quickly gather information by basin for business happenings, headlines, and trends. Alrighty, welcome back to another month. We got January 2020 in review for the Rare Petro Podcast.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Cy Ollie.
0: This is Tavis Killian.
1: Uh, We're going to get started here. It's been a while since we've been back. So we just like to say thank you. you. Yeah, yeah, we'll just like to say thank you for the guys that are uh, still out there to listen to our podcast. Us blabbering on Um, all three
0: of you. Hey, dad, what's up? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the reviews. You're very supportive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's just it's just the family uh, connections that we have here. Um, So let's just dive in. Right. It's been an interesting few months. Um, You know, stock prices are uh, still looking a little bit down for a few of the guys that we've mentioned in the past few months. It's tough. Um, today
0: is uh, February the 24th as we're a little bit behind. But yeah, opening market today. I got blasted this morning. Robinhood. Uh, I've got a lot of oil and gas companies on my watch list for investing. And was tons of notifications. 14-week low, 21-week low. This coronavirus is really... Yeah. Out of, dirty.
1: All, out of all the fucking things. Right. It, it it's the, it's the beer virus. That's kind of just <laughs> that's in the putting head. Down. So. And
0: I don't mean to diminish uh, the lives that I've been lost, but it's been what about a little over 2400 2, Last time I checked. Yeah. Which yeah. is concerning and is something we should work to solve. But I just think it's a bit selfish that developed countries were looking at this now when at least ten thousand people a day are dying for other respiratory illnesses that are usually tied to insufficient use of kerosene or other organic fuels that they use in their stoves and their homes.
1: Yeah, right. And then, hey, like the best thing to avoid all of this could have been just um, stick to drinking bush light.
0: Is it, yeah, no <laughs> more. <laughs> I see you're not invested in Corona, but yeah, I just, let's not assign too much importance to something like this. It's easy to let the media make a big story out of something small, but keep the numbers in perspective and uh, wash your hands. Yeah, Wash at
1: the end of the day, essentially. That's what it all breaks down to. You know, remember what they told you in kindergarten.
0: As we mentioned, markets they did struggle, they did suffer. As of right now, it's currently 15 to 1, $51.46 for WTI crude, and natural gas is down to about $1.83. So, not a huge change from what we've seen in the past, but it was looking up. I think we hit about $53 earlier in the yeah. week, but then uh, markets opened back up this morning and. Yeah, And a big fit with that
1: one. Yeah, knee ramification, like you said, you know, and all seriousness. Yeah, the coronavirus, you know, all the updates that have been happening throughout the week. Um, you know, more as more and more uh, stories get developed, you know, new cases come to be. Um, the market is just seeing a huge hit by each, you know, event and um, each development that's kind of going on along with it. So that's just, you know, that's just kind of the business we're in. You know, that it's hugely impacted by these, you know, small changes, you know, across the globe you know, in your own backyard. It's just, it's just something we've kind of seen happen year after year. So hopefully, uh, you know, they figure out a solution, you know, they can actually, uh, slow down this, this virus from spreading further, you know, kind of figure out a solution and, um, you know, we'll hopefully see the markets go back up, you know, commodity prices getting back to ideally what we hope they get back to.
0: Oh yeah. It's just a matter of time, but, uh, I think that's probably about the biggest thing we've got going on finances right now. Should we pop on over down to Texas?
1: Yeah, let's look at it, Texas. You know, Texas is still doing Texas things, doing it big, doing it big. You know, there's always, uh, always something nice to hear. Uh, within, like you said, the price was what 52 fifty
0: two, eighteen. Uh, I think it's down to fifty one now.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Jesus Christ. It, yeah. it was
0: doing much better a couple of days ago, yeah. but this weekend, uh, I think it was infections now in Iran, South Korea, and somewhere else that has caused a lot more panic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You would think, you know, you would think those cases popping up in Iran would uh, probably give us a little boost,
0: but you think so? I don't know. I think it's more of a quarantine thing. there, limiting production and trades, uh, which is a good thing. International outside of domestic, yeah, which is a good thing, right? Yeah, should increase the demand. But hey, look at us—we're worldwide still overproducing.
1: Yeah. Hey. <laughs> all right. Unless you're in Iran, um, drink Bush Light. So. <laughs> but yeah, no. Looking down in uh, the Permian Basin, so we've got Shell. Recent reports indicate they are working towards developing that shale field to up to 250,000 barrels per day. Now, this is the Royal Dutch Shale, which comes in um, after, you know, they're, they're talking about investing billions of dollars into these uh, shale projects that we're seeing all over the Permian Basin with the goal of spending about $3 billion per year for the next five years to help develop it as much as they possibly can. Uh, this is essentially from their VP of Perm- their Permian Assets, so uh, said this in the recent report followings, um, to indicate how much they are still invested.
0: And I think those investments are paying off because, uh, later in the article, it does mention, uh, shells, Permian Basin production rose more than a hundred thousand barrels per day in the last year. Yeah. So that's, the shell yeah, plays, it's, it's, it, it looks like there could be money, but still it's going to be a result of the commodity pricing.
1: Exactly. And you know, these guys are still planning to target the tier one, um, Drilling inventory, right? So you're talking about the best of the best land, you know, easy to access, you know, you're still looking at good rock. As of right now, I think the Permian is projected to have great production out of these tier one properties, right? Yeah.
0: And uh, I wish so well, but it looks like after that last quarter earnings call, the CEO mentioned that it's probably not the right time for acquisitions. So they'll probably just continue to develop within the Permian, maybe not expand, but maintain. But past that, there's a new boom in the Permian Basin. It's wastewater. In five years, the Permian is forecasted to generate 32 million barrels of produced water per day, which is up from about the 4 million a day currently. Uh, That's a huge increase, and what this article highlights is the difficulties that will exist in dealing with this water. It seems like the easiest solution and the solution people are most keen on is using this produced water, reuse it, and drilling but we're running out of underground wells to store a lot of this produced water into so it's either going to be that reusable or treatment facilities to treat this produced water.
1: This is something that's happening right now, right? And it's projected to we have we have hard numbers, right? We've got empirical data showing that for each barrel that you that you produce uh, each barrel of oil, you get about four barrels of produced water come up.
0: And that's just today. My concern yeah. is that water cut, the percentage is going to continue to increase.
1: Yeah, and that's I, why we see, get ideally, such a
0: drastic improvement in just yeah, five years time
1: yeah no ideally i would say we're looking at about you know a barrel you, you get four barrels of produced or you know somewhere around that ballpark is it's still going to be within the same rock but what this shows us though is the potential of reusing this produced water you could clean it up you know you could possibly use it for hydraulic fracturing you know you could use it for various operations on the oil field but the thing is there's not a lot of you know there's not a market for it
0: no i 100 percent agree and i want to expand on the fact that you're highlighting this is potential industry i think uh, in terms of water policy water law and the general consumption that we do as humans and the increased consumption as we move to areas that we couldn't really inhabit before this is a valuable resource that we're probably taking for granted right now so i think there's going to be big money in this treatment it's going to cost big money but it's going to generate big money for someone else too
1: yeah no it's uh you know getting rid of um produced water you know getting cleaned up it's already a big cost here in dj right you're looking at you're looking at tremendous cost just to be able to move the water out by pipelines it's about you know buck 50 buck 60 that's what you're running at um permian with the you know with limitations of you know pipelines infrastructure itself and then all of these things combined that's this is a whole like scepter you know separate um sector of the oil and gas industry that still kind of needs to be developed, you know, have, you know, new guys kind of come in and figure out ways to kind of cut these costs and then work with operators to, you know, for the better of both, you know, both teams. So.
0: Yeah, I love it. It's just big developments in the Permian. Love to see it. It's not bad news, but it's, roo- it's growth. It's growth right? in the future.
1: That, that's exactly what we want. But looking on over on the other side of Texas, you got the Eagle for Basin, uh, you know, still kind of going, going strong just kind of chugging along trying to um stay afloat along with the permian (laughs) but that's that's a that's a tough uh tough thing to do because the permian like we said and like we keep saying is still kicking ass um
0: all day baby
1: yes sir that's that's what it is right um but yeah in the eagle basin you know something reported on is uh, apache closing down their san antonio office cutting about 300 jobs although apache stock kind of fell down, uh, you know, it plunged more than 50% from fall of 2018 up until this past, you know, December, I would say even early January. Um, now, Apache is looking good, a little better. Um, the upside to that is that, well, yeah, the upside is the stock price up. But the reason for that is is uh, because of the recent discovery of oil that they found off the coast of Suriname. Yeah, it's.
0: I mean, it's unfortunate the, the way they did cut costs, but it looks like for a company, The company Apache, things are going in a positive direction,
1: and yeah, no, it's it's working out according to what they wanted to do. What their game plan was, what this was, to cut this additional personnel to be able to uh, kind of do a reorganization, you know, restructure of their company. You know, so what this report kind of shows is that they were able to free up about 150 million dollars per year, based off just this, you know, just in a matter of like two three months that they had these cuts. And
0: it's it's not the best news, but there's always a silver lining, and that silver lining is that. Apache's doing better. Yeah. And also similar vein, Chesapeake Energy reports progress on their debt reduction.
1: Did they still exist?
0: They do still exist. Like, they, like I a, said, not great news, but they're moving forward. The stock's been bouncing around between pretty much fifty cents and mid forties. I think I saw forty-eight to be pretty common, but I
1: guess my my question should have been um let me reword that. How are they getting to exist?
0: Um, I don't know because they did have that well blowout. Which resulted in the immediate death of one operator. How do
1: you even cause a blowout when your stock's worth forty-seven cents?
0: It's not an ideal setup. It really isn't. But then also that blowout that injured a few others. I think uh, two others died while their injuries were being treated. And Goodness then Christ. times you know, are not tough.
1: To, yeah, not to poke fun at you know any of any tragedies um, and you know any of these uh, deaths that you've you've talked about. But these guys, honestly, Chesapeake Energy, they gotta they gotta keep their guys in the office, figure out to stay afloat that's that needs to be their first thing right like cut out your operations stop stop focusing on your day-to-day if if that's what they're concerning in their last quarter filings the ceo themselves was a three months ago they literally warned about the fact that the low commodity price at that point which was we were still about 58 or so right we were still this was like right before you know the coronavirus had just kind of creeping in and will cause a price to plummet down to 55, eventually 54, three. And then today's is at 51. But this was when the price was still at 58 bucks or so, right around up there. And that's when the CEO said, Hey, if the the price doesn't go up, we will, we will very much, you know, be bankrupt. Yeah.
0: They're given six months to get their stock up above $1. That's the goal that was given in February.
1: Yeah. And see, they keep I'm
0: sorry. That was given in December. It is now February, almost halfway through that goal.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Let's see what that stock fell up to. But, you know, these guys, they keep talking about, yeah, we're coming out with a new program to, you know, be able to cut down 30% per year each year for the next five years or, you know, some of this, some little fancy, you know, term like that to talk about how they will be able to stay afloat. But we don't see the work happening, you know, and, 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 you know, on top of that, news reports coming out of these, you know, blowouts and other other issues that we're seeing related to this company aren't helping matters either. They're not going to help your stock go up for sure
0: and it looks like as of today that current stock price sits at 43 cents a share
1: 43
0: 43
1: huh. let's about 43.5 all right Tavis, let's do a quick round oh. what can you buy if you walk into a grocery store today for 43 cents <laughs> what would you be able
0: to buy <laughs> oh man i think i've already lost i want you to go first half uh, a stick of gum yep yeah, nerd the tip of a banana
1: tip of a <laughs> half a banana um hey they might you know, you, they'll probably give you two slices of an apple. You have to cut it yourself. Yes, nicely, yeah. Yeah, you, you have to cut it yourself, too. Um, yeah, not man. much. What else? That what was I'm, a short list. That was a short, was a short <laughs> list. Hey, but I'll tell you what, though. Guess what else you can buy for 43 cents? What can you buy for 43 cents? Chesapeake Energy stock.
0: Look at that. And that, you know, could be an investment. But uh, I would wait to see how it plays out. I'm hey, not going to give honestly, any advice. Honestly, I would say
1: those two slices of apple at the nearest Safeway do sound... Do sound like worth more of the $0.43 cents I want to spend my money Yeah, at. but
0: $0.43 cents isn't too big a gamble for a single share. But, hey, no. If you have an extra $0.43 cents to throw away, you know, it
1: could help out Chesapeake, you know. Go to the Safeway. I think <laughs> you should go to the Safeway.
0: You know, so I got to say, I think I'm in the mood for some great news. I want to hear something good. I want to hear about the positive benefits of oil and gas. You got anything for me down in Oklahoma? Seems like a good place to go.
1: Yeah, you know, Scoop Stack, hey, they're, um... You know what? I think I do. There's a development story coming out that there's a teacher's board that's actually working towards incorporating oil and gas STEM topics, right? Oh, yeah. That's it. This uh,
0: The Oklahoma Energy Resources Board. I I figured
1: figured you'll like that one, right? um, I was so excited to read about this. School of Mind students here, you know, fully invested in the STEM culture, the STEM programs that we've developed in. And this sounds great, actually. Hey, Oklahoma was... In the beginning, that's where we saw the boom, right? Oil and gas. So it makes sense that they're making a push for this. They that state has is enriched in, you know, oil and gas history. Like they, they are a vital team, you know, a vital part of the oil and gas culture here in the United States. So this is great. Getting edu- you know, providing kids an education, getting them going early. I think this is uh this is a step forward.
0: No, oh, this is fantastic. The Oklahoma Energy Resources Board sponsored a workshop recently to teach uh well, enable these teachers to be able to teach the curriculum. They give them a $50 stipend to spend on top of uh, resources and materials worth around $1,000. So not only is it directly benefiting the classrooms, but it's exposing uh, young children to the industry that works in their state in the most generic form. So third grade through sixth grade gets to study a lot of biology, energy transfer from the sun into plants and mammals and how that's cemented and how those turn and mature into oils.
1: No, that's awesome. That is awesome. I got it cuz I got to tell you cuz now when I sit here and think about it until we started these majors, you know, and unless we were from a state that had a lot of oil and gas, you know, petroleum engineering related activity, you know, we really didn't get to see much of this play out. And then the big thing about STEM schools is you get that hands-on learning, right? Mm-hmm. That engineering and mathematics and the that that that's the EM within the STEM. That's where, you know, we all kind of really peaked and stood out is cuz we understood the hands-on stuff and which If these students get to have that hands on experience with oil and gas related stuff, you're looking at, you know, this generation is going to be coming out, you know, more knowledge and more aware of how everything operates and how everything functions and learning to, you know, take something apart and, you know, put it back together with their hands. And they'll probably they'll they'll be able to use those skills towards our industry. Or any of the other engineering or yeah, doesn't even have to
0: apply to our industry exactly. That, those it's, are fundamentals of yeah. geology. Or... And then see
1: the oil gas. You see oil gas like hands-on stuff. I can I can picture this out working out in a great way because even if you're not going in this industry, you know, oil and gas is you're you're dealing from fluid mechanics to you know you're talking about you know you're talking about industrial you know engineering and you know mechanical engineering up on the surface. You know you're talking about this chemical engineering. You know through the process of you know. Separating, you know, separating the, the different flows that you have, you know, and then refining them further into different classifications.
0: Exactly, I think knowledge is one of the most valuable resources that we can exchange and trade and nurture and grow, and that's why I think it's great that we are investing in tomorrow's STEM professionals with something that doesn't have to cement them in oil and gas but something that exposes them to a wide variety of stems and engineering subjects i think this is just great
1: no yeah and like you said you know like i I liked how you worded that you know investing in tomorrow's future all right here's to just shooting some shit so tavis was able to work towards finding us a great article that we figured we just kind of uh you know shoot the shit with We've got Elizabeth Warren,
0: a candidate right up at the front. What is interesting about this article specifically is that we all know Warren is big on going green. You Go know,
1: green. She everything wants everything colored green. Every spell it with the you know the letters G R in it. Ex-
0: exactly. But apparently she doesn't want to see green because she does have a platform where she's trying to push the ban of fracking. But yes.
1: Anti-oil and gas.
0: Yeah. But what's contradictory to that, she was an Oklahoma resident, and in 2011, right before she announced her uh, decision to run for the Senate- uh, For
1: Massachusetts, for as that matter.
0: Massachusetts Senator- her husband, a couple weeks before that happened, sold all of his interest in oil and gas and other mineral leases. Did he now? Huh. Yeah. Who did he, was... uh,
1: who did he sell these royalties to? Just like opening the market. You or... would
0: have thought that, but he kept it in the family, and it went to his and Elizabeth's son, Alexander. So the Warrens still possessed that land, even if well, it you, wasn't know, you keep hearing room.
1: about them people yeah. in Oklahoma, you know, keeping it in the family. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh, let's not drag their names through the dirt.
1: I think it's amazing, yeah, as they reported. So the news article reports, you know, going forward up until 2014, that a lot of these transfers, you know, a lot of these uh, property rights and leases that were in their name, uh, Bruce Mann, Elizabeth Warren's husband, and and Elizabeth Warren's name, they were... um, they were still being, you know, the the, these little uh, they were transferring the the names and the acreages and the leases to their kids' names as like her political profile was getting up and up, you know? Yeah, several
0: times it happened. Yeah, and this is twenty seventeen.
1: Yeah, this is the exact same year. You know, I, I don't distinctively remember this, but going through this article, I remember going through like, you know, trying to figure out what her focus was on. So I think the funniest part about this whole article is that was the same year as while they were, you know, doing these transfers and you know, getting everything away from their name. That's when she was going on national TV talking about, you know, this is a climate crisis, you know, we are going to, you know, the world's going to end today if we don't stop, you know, using plastic straws. You know, that was her, that was her whole agenda for that, for that month or, you know, for hell that whole year. And to this day now she's running, you know, front runner, actually not a front runner, but, you know, pretty up there, you know, she's making some waves through the DNC, you know, getting, getting everybody all riled up for those Democrats to, you know, get her in office. But, you know, we sit back and kind of see her, you know, push for the green deal, do this, this and that, but. She clearly didn't have a problem with oil and gas development when she was cashing in those checks as she worked towards her law school, you know, as she paid for numerous of the things she probably has. Because I promise you, renewable energy didn't make, you know, help her get that rich.
0: No, of course. And then as soon as she goes into the Senate, transfers it right to the kids. So something to be said for a candidate who's pushing green pretty heavy. A lot of untruth out there, and even the candidates who are saying green energy is the way have their kids making money off of oil and gas.
1: Exactly. You know, this is this is this is this is what it is. You know, we're just plain and simple shooting shit. Let me tell you something that Pennsylvania plans to take away from tomorrow's future. What's that? Your money. My money. Not your money, but uh, maybe the residents of Pennsylvania and the operators of Pennsylvania, and also to begin with. Yeah, we both know your 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 cards got like what 10 bucks left in it. They really can't take much of it. <laughs> yeah, so.
0: I, I, they can, they're welcome to whatever they would like. But <laughs> what, again, we they're going to get half a banana? Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're going right? to take my one chest pit hey, stock.
1: Back to the 43 cents. But the state of Pennsylvania, they are proposing an increase on severance tax. Uh it's it's although it is for a good uh, measure, you know, their goal is as they're referring to it as the Restore PA, you know, Restore Pennsylvania movement. The goal there is um, you know, just pennsylvania have you been in there it's um it kind of looks a little bit run down you know, you broken know I, I grew
0: down. up in iowa there's sometimes not a whole ton of infrastructure or yeah updated
1: yeah pennsylvania is like you know it's one of them you know it's one of the uh, bigger states you know they've got a lot of uh you know a lot of big cities so you know a lot of the stuff is just you know big city stuff it kind of you know gets run down you know from from tourism you know a lot of the stuff that happens in a big city environment so the goal with this increase on severance tax is to help restore pennsylvania but this kind of the reason I wanted to bring this up is because through the last year alone, you know, actually not last year, since 2012 alone, Pennsylvania has collected about $1.7 billion in taxes from the natural gas producers alone. So as they continue to, you know, pressure these companies to
0: Give more and more and more yeah. money. That's already going to these projects.
1: And then the thing is, it's, it's Pennsylvania, so all you're getting out of there is gas. Gas is worth, as of right now, I think what you said earlier, it was about dollar
0: eighty, a little more yeah, than that.
1: Uh, yeah, about you know buck M- eighty, I and yeah, it, yeah, and that's that's what it's always been, right? You know, last week or so, it dipped even down to a dollar seventy nine or something like that. And then we're looking at a tough commodity price environment today.
0: Yep, and, you say it every month.
1: Yeah, there's operators in Pennsylvania that are literally slowing down their product you know projects to wait until the world and the united states energy market gets more adjusted towards you know natural gas you know lngs um you know and other other products like such because they they want to wait until there's there's enough demand for them to provide the extensive supply that they have so i think i mean it's a great thing that the government of pennsylvania is kind of you know aiming for this but at the end of the day, I just see this not working out for a lot of the small operators, and that's what you see up in the Appalachia. You know, you've got you've got a few of the big guys. Hell, Chesapeake's major up there, but at forty-three cents, they can't really do much, anyways. But other small operators that are kind of you know trying to you know embody the Pennsylvania you know spirit, you know kind of work towards that Marcellus shale, they're going to be out of business with these little little you know price hikes here and there. And again, at, at the at, at the price of what dollar eighty, $1. that is selling at today. You're already barely, you know, making a profit and then increases like, you know, such. And then whatever is going to come up in the future, you're you're honestly leaving the door open for these guys to just leave the state and, you know, leave you sitting there without the one point seven billion dollars you've made since 2012.
0: Yeah, I think the greatest challenge that Pennsylvania is going to encounter is. Yeah, they're going to be producing a lot of gas domestically, so I think the best way to get around that is maybe not tax the gas where it is right there, but start to create infrastructure that can mobilize this gas so we can allow other applications.
1: Yeah, and actually, recently, yeah. help out, you know, help out, and then help out the guys, you know, the operators, and then they wouldn't have no problem exactly. paying you back. You if know. we
0: can find a demand to use all of this gas, then. We can yeah. increase the price. And yeah, I think let's that, let's
1: get the governor here to work towards building a pipeline first, right? I think that's, that's the, number the first step. Thing.
0: Anything to mobilize this. But Pennsylvania recently was among 15 states that opposed the rail shipments of LNG, liquefied natural gas. Of course, yeah. uh, the attorneys general of 15 states, Pennsylvania included, uh, opposed the Trump administration's idea of putting it on railways and shipping it through towns.
1: Yeah, this was the uh, oh yeah, this was the uh, executive order. That, yeah. that got put down, right? Yeah, which
0: does make sense. Uh, their concern was that these highly pressured gas tanks these balls of gas that would just be shipped on trains would be going through very densely populated areas potentially in unit trains of up to 100 cars operated by just a few people i can see the concern there but that again leads me to believe we got to get to pipelines we got to mobilize this This there's a safe solution already
1: there no yeah i'm not trying to justify it or go against it because you know this topic you know you could you could could go go either either way way. um yeah my understanding of um you know the way this administration has worked in the past to benefit the oil and gas industry has been to kind of take out some of the factors that are limiting production and um, kind of causing, you know, the, that are kind of causing, you know, issues with, you know, with guys being able to make a profit in this industry and this, again, due to the commodity price. So what I think the Trump administration is trying to do here is essentially allow for transportation to occur through, uh, you know, rail tankers, um, you know, rail shipments that like we're talking about, essentially while the state works towards building up these pipelines and opening up you know speeding up that process so operators still have a way to you know move the actual natural gas and lng and everything else they have coming out of the ground so they're not just stuck there you know just kind of waiting for ways to open up for them to be able to sell their product if this can you know if this can be worked out in a safe way i think pipelines yeah I think pipelines a are the way to way. go We're but not
0: gonna obviously you
1: know, no i'm thinking this works out i'm thinking the only way this works out is we let this fly for about you know five six months giving giving the oil and gas pipeline development to kind of speed up in the state of pennsylvania yeah that would be my number one thing and i again i would suggest that people be very very much informed about this if they are to board a you know train that's got lng shipments on it because again that's that's highly you know it's orderless and it is highly flammable so your buddy just lighting up a marble red might just be uh <laughs> having the last smoke of his life <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah but it's good food for thought. I hope they work through that and find a more valuable and valid solution. But outside of the Marcellus, we got other shale plays and we're talking gas, baby, big gas. I know I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> I'm not having any creamer in the coffee today, but I'm talking more gas than that.
1: Hey, we're talking the Bakken shale, right? They're doing it big, right? Going head to head with the Permian Basin. What we got happening is something we've been, me and, me and you, Tavis, we've been talking about this developing in the past few months, right? The main problem, gas processing what the state wants to do is cut down that flaring all the way down to, I believe it's 98% now. Mm. Uh, yeah. They, they want it to be, yeah, they want to cut down to, they only want flaring to happen 9% by November, 2020. And Which is a good
0: goal. Cause right now is, I think is. past June, it was at 24%. So yeah, see, already that's, leaps that's and bounds big. better. But
1: what we have reporting coming, you know, what, what's reported coming out of the Bakken today is that production is expected to continue soaring because they work towards adding on gas processing capacity. Now we're looking at XTO, which is BP's um, Lower 48 division. They have just made a long-term deal with Outrigger Energy Midstream, with the goal of building gas pipeline and a cryogenic gas processing plant in the heart of North Dakota's Bakken formation. The goal is to again speed up the production because this facility would provide not just XTO and a few other, you know, and the other operators a way to be able to get their gas processed at the wellhead rather than have them flare it up and you know get in trouble within the state so yeah
0: and this this plant was uh they want it to process about a quarter billion cubic feet of gas a day they'll fight that flaring problem
1: yeah and that that's a good thing I can't, again that's insane yeah, that's quite the capacity ex- exactly that's, that's 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 one big ass processing plant also instead of
0: just burning it up and uh, producing those emissions these Plants could potentially produce ethane, propane, butane, natural gasoline, and it could be expanded to handle bigger volumes should the demand require it. Yeah. So it's already – I think this is a wonderful plan. This yeah, is exactly the best, what the state was looking for. Exactly,
1: and the best thing is this plant with the the Outrigger Energy Mystery, their plant, they are reporting that the, these facilities could be operational by the end of the year. That's the best thing we can kind of get out of this whole thing is – right now again we've been talking about the stock how the price is going up and down price is kind of low 51 bill and some change not ideal so if this processing plan can be up and running by the time we're looking at a little bit better commodity price man the guys in bachner gonna be happy heck i will be happy <laughs> not, everyone's
0: gonna be happy it's gonna be a good day
1: there's there's hoping right all right now looking into our neck of the woods we've got the dj basin um what we have coming out of here is audits are being slapped on Colorado operators for sloppy record keeping out of all the things. So we seem to be doing pretty well if this is what the state wants to occupy their time with. Now, what we're kind of getting now from this story is that a lot of these guys have not been doing the best, of, the best job to upload and kind of submit all their documentation of all the operations that have held as to why the state is going to be possibly auditing um, these uh, operators for just kind of, you know, you know sloppy record keeping and lack of accountability but the thing is these audits could essentially cost the operators about you know close to 300 to 400 million dollars in penalties and that's just never a good thing and again in this low price that we're looking at and already the other tougher you know developmental issues that have come up in the state
0: yeah it wouldn't have been so surprising that these fines and audits are coming out now if you hadn't known that this has been a problem in the past. Recently, a lot of these reports have not been filed, and the biggest concern for the COGCC with its relation to the state is the assessment of severance tax. That's money that the state's losing, potentially, if these aren't filled out correctly. So uh, hopefully these entities, the operators in the COGCC, can work together because I yeah. would hate for... Bigger and, fines or more regulations to come out, making it more and more difficult to get yeah, these resources.
1: Exactly. And that's never good. But I got to be honest, you know, being an intern um, at a lot of uh, oil and gas companies, uh, one thing you always do is you always deal with the COGCC website to uh, figure out public data and help build models and, you know, programs and kind of assess data um, to be able to provide an answer. And I got to be honest with you, some of that data sucks. I hate some going to the. Some of it and, does. Yeah. It's some... tough to deal with some of it. And, you know, sometimes you just wonder. Hey, man, whoever uploaded this, whatever operator, whatever drilling engineer <laughs> uploaded this is clearly, you know, not doing the right thing. And mm. maybe, maybe these funds will kind of be like a little wake up call. So, you know, just for all the interns that are having to deal with the same problem, probably this semester or in the past summer, I feel you. Hey, we're out here, too. <laughs> we, know your we, pain. We, we exist. <laughs> uh, looking at some of the other things. So in the state of Colorado, we have got a group called Colorado Rising. It does not sound like a... Um, a, it doesn't uh, sound
0: as bad as it is, is yeah what I'd you like know to say.
1: I, yeah i picture like a fist in the air kind of uh, a revolution know. almost yeah. right that's yeah. what it paints but exactly
0: uh most of you may not okay actually at this point i would
1: argue that some of you are familiar with colorado Rising. so it's a group of post-hydraulic fracturing they just announced that they have filed with the secretary of the state about six ballot measures five of which are essentially going to increase setbacks between drilling rigs and homes from the 500 feet for homes and a thousand feet for schools. That's the, that's the actual distances that exists now. Now, this might be confusing for some of you guys, cause you guys are probably sitting there thinking, didn't the state of Colorado grew, go through something very similar to this, which is called prop 112. And it was a major mm-hmm. movement. Yes, you're absolutely right. We did. And Colorado rising is essentially, um, trying to mimic a lot of the things that prop 112 try to bring up. Um, and they're hoping that the state and this residents have forgotten about it, but that's. That's definitely not the case. Yeah,
0: I think what their strategy is, because Prop 112, if you don't remember the specifications, that was a 2,500-foot setback from any publicly occupied structure or private. So along with those other ballots that they've submitted, this and the other four setbacks, uh, they range in restrictiveness. So I'm thinking what they're trying to do is spread this out on the table. You've got Prop 112, you know, that option way at the top, the most ridiculous. Yeah. So I think they're trying to force it to make it look like there needs to be a compromise, but that really doesn't have to happen. We've already voted on this. If it didn't get through in the past, I don't know what year is going to change. But...
1: I know, but these see, these ballot measures, us. Well, we got to be careful with, because with Prop 112, the biggest thing it, to me what stood out was not the fact that they're going to increase the uh, the actual distance between homes and schools to whatever, 2,500 feet, whatever that figure was. What stood out to me was one of the last bullet points, you know, in that proposition was that it it was, it was very vague terminology that they used. you know, they, they they talked about how there would be laws and increase in distances from, um, I I forgot what the word they used, but it was, you know, it was exact feet from, you know, a house, school churches, you know, all these little places. And then the last thing was, um, and any other, you know, institution or structure that, that qualifies or something like that, which essentially meant that whatever the state deemed fit, whatever, you know, uh, whatever, however this definition yeah applied. whatever little building they thought was within the realm of this world or word or phrase could also be subjected to that 2500 foot increase you know one of the one of the setbacks uh, or measures that colorado rising is is kind of pushing for is to give is to literally have yeah to literally increase the maximum amount bond amount that companies have to put up for potential reclamation before they can receive a permit so currently we're looking at, I think about $10,000 for that cost or so. And they want to increase that all the way up to about $270,000.
0: Yeah. It's even less than $10,000 depending on how you look at it. A hundred statewide wells for a hundred thousand dollars. If you did more than that, you'd still have to post a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah.
1: And this is, this is like the, this is the max bond amount that companies put up. The Colorado Rising was just working towards, you know, kind of enhancing and, you know, adding on more, you know, regulatory, measures for operators to kind of meet in the state of colorado because they seem to be doing working very well within the within the laws that that the state keeps throwing at them and this group kind of wants to go out there and kind of add on more stuff for these companies to deal with just to see what they can handle yeah
0: we just got to do our research Uh, these groups are going to push and the most important thing we can do is vote but please i and i we're not going to tell you how to vote
1: but you better vote the way we're telling you to yeah okay
0: I may not agree politically 100% of the time, but really look at the research, uh, consider it from both biases, read what Colorado Rising puts out, read what the COGCC puts 100%. out, be well-versed and then make that decision. So,
1: If you get a chance to look at the salaries of the teachers and the development that's been done in the state of Colorado and as to what funds helped establish all of these things where did that money come from take a moment to look at that we're not going to tell you how to vote but um take a (laughs) moment to look at that but we're still not going to tell you how to vote similar to uh the state of colorado we mentioned um there's a bill currently being introduced in california uh referred to as the assembly bill 345 which will essentially uh establish a minimum setback distance between public facilities um with children and on gas wells and ideally you know they're they are passing this in the assembly. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of other development to this bill has yet to come out. But what it essentially looks like is that about uh, that that the uh, a lot of the operators and um, the National Resources Agency itself has till about July of 2022 to adopt these regulations that essentially say that. You have to put oil and gas facilities at a distance of 2,500 feet away from schools, playgrounds, and other public places with children. But we will be building upon the story to let you know as to what impact this bill and uh, the continual governance of Gavin Newsom will have on the state.
0: It's just setting up a big fall for oil and gas. I mean, what they want, fences and probably something like air quality tests, which will return, oh, there's more carbon emissions than if nothing had happened here. And that's going to lead to the eventual shutdown
1: you know what tavis i think i got a better question for you oh no let's play on the game (laughs) what can you get for 43 cents in the state of colorado (laughs) no 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 in the state of
0: california (laughs) in the state of california (laughs) not a plastic bag i think they cost more than that uh
1: not another oil and gas regulator (laughs) (laughs) i don't know they seem like they're a
0: dime a dozen anymore
1: yeah thank you for listening to Rare petro podcast brought to you by Rare petro be sure to let us know what you think because we want to talk about what you want to listen to. This podcast is brought to you by Truck Track, an app by Rear Petro that allows you to stay updated and stay on track. Do you want to know what's going on in real time? Then download Truck Track, available in the App Store and the Google Store. Check out Rear Petro's other products, such as DCA Advantage. DCA Advantage allows you to create decline curves in the quickest and easiest way possible. Do you want to know the equation to these decline curves so that you can establish your other reservoir properties? Then download DCA Advantage.